Well, good morning, everybody. Special good morning to those joining us online. I think we've got a lot of families still running around the country on fall break. So whatever beach you're joining us on, I hope you're enjoying the setting. And uh, let's open up our Bibles, John chapter 5. We're continuing our series through the Gospel of John. Didn't Julia do a great job last Sunday morning with John chapter 4? Great job, Julia. I'm so thankful for the different teachers the Lord's put on our staff, when Julia and Justin and Ian, just so many great uh, just gifts that he's given them, and they offer those gifts to us. And I got to listen to her message yesterday and just so encouraged about the picture she gave us of Jesus' heart to deal with those untrue places in our lives. I thought that was so encouraging. Well, today we're traveling with Jesus. You remember where we left him off? Well, he was in Samaria having a conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well, and he's traveling now. If you can put the map up there for us, Ted, so that we're, we're going from south to north on this journey, okay? So the map, right? So he made, he started, he started down there. He started down in the southern part of Judea. He made his way up to Samaria, and he's on his way to Galilee, that whole space called, and Jerusalem is where he's at today. And the significance of today's dialogue is centered around change. I entitled this morning, Will This Ever Change? Has anybody ever been frustrated with the lack of pace of change, either in your own life or those around you? Have you ever said, will he ever change? If you're married, I know you said that. (laughs) Will she ever change? Will this ever change? You can just get so frustrated at times with, and, and I think the guy that Jesus is talking to today He's been in a certain condition for 38 years, and the cumulative frustration of change or the lack thereof for him can lead you to a place of despair and the place of giving up hope. Perhaps you've given up hope on yourself, like this is never going to change, or you've given up hope on someone around you, or maybe your friends have given hope on you, you. spouse has given up hope on you, family given up hope on you, but here's the one thing you know, when Jesus comes on the scene, there's one who doesn't give up hope for change. And he meets a guy who maybe had long since relinquished hope. And it's in John 5 in this setting, verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, all the feasts, so there are three feasts, Pentecost, Tabernacles, and Passover. Those three feasts, if you were a Jewish male within 15 miles of Jerusalem, you were required to report to Jerusalem for those feasts. So Jesus knew that. He's on his way to Jerusalem because often his ministry centered around the feast because you could imagine the large gathering of people from all around that area. Now, verse 2. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. So there's this pool. The colonnades would be large columns. Think of them as large covered porches. And these pool areas that people were gathering around them Because there was a belief about how someone could be healed in the pool area or not. And so Bethesda means house of grace or house of outpouring. And so you're going to see here, we're going to look this morning at the hope for change is found in Jesus' house of grace. Look at verse 3. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid or paralyzed for 38 years. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now, let's pause there for a minute. 
How ironic is that? It reminded me of my phone call with AT&T customer service on Monday, this past Monday. Okay, I did the classic, right? You dial the 1-800 number, whatever, and, you get, and you're on hold for way longer than you want to be. And I, find, I, enter my, I enter my phone number four times on this one call, the same number, right? Could you please enter your number for us, et cetera, et cetera, right? And I was, finally, someone's picking up. I hear them. You hear all the clicking in the back. Oh, there's a human being going to be on the other end. And as soon as that person starts in, they hit the wrong button and cut me off. So I start the whole process over again. So second phone call, second 10, 15-minute wait, enter my number four more times, get transferred to two incorrect departments. So eight times now entering my number, two wrong departments, finally get, she says, hi, I'm Patricia from Battle Creek, Michigan. Is there something I can help you with today? And all I could say was, yes. I said, yes, are you kidding me? And she says, could I have your phone number, please? You mean the same number that I've entered eight times in the last 20 minutes? Yes, I can help you if I can have your phone number, please. I think that's how the paralytic was feeling at this moment. Jesus says, do you want to get well? Yes, what do you think I've been doing here for 38 years? Because, here's the understanding, look at the next verse, verse 7. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So there's a subterranean stream that runs under the pool of Bethesda. And occasionally, like streams would do under pools, it would cause some bubbling up to the surface. And they believed, the paralyzed around their belief, first one in the waters, when it bubbled, was healed. That was the belief. And so the guy's been laying there for 38 years. Now check this out. I think Jesus is thinking about something here when he asks this question. I think there's something below the surface. When Jesus asks a question, it's never for his own benefit. It's always for the benefit of those whom he's asking. Because he sees below the surface of what's going on here. It's a little bit more than just water and pool issues going on here. Do you want to get well? And he throws up an immediate, well, I've been here for 38 years and I can't get in the water fast enough. Everyone gets in ahead of me. Verse 8, then Jesus said to him, get up, (laughs) pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Don't you love how Jesus, he just kind of places the, he just kind of places a trump card on the pool issue. Like, hey, does anything do with the waters? Does anything do with the stream? Does anything do with first one in the water? It's get up, get up and walk, pick up your mat and go. And now this guy who's been there for 38 years, who may be given up hope for things ever changing, he's met someone who has forever changed his life. And I want us to reflect on three qualities now. I want you to think about three qualities in responding to Jesus' question, do you want to get well? Three qualities that help us point to, who, what is it about those who take steps towards wholeness, who take steps towards wellness, who take steps towards spiritual health? What, is it, what are the qualities of people who do that versus those who maybe just continue to lay around the pool of Bethesda? Do you know everyone laying around the pool of Bethesda isn't always interested in getting in? This is part of the human condition Jesus is very aware of, right? It's an amazing part of our shadow side of the human reality. Like, sometimes we can get used to our cycles of dysfunction and brokenness to the point where we can't envision life any other way. Or actually, we like playing the victim, shifting the blame, and we like all the attention we get laying around the pool. 
maybe this guy had been there for 38 years, and Jesus said, do you want to get well? Because he wasn't completely convinced in this guy's heart of hearts. Like, you'd figure it out after 38 years, right? You'd get the system. You'd like, somewhere you'd get the right help to get in the way. If it was really an issue of getting help, it's probably not that. And there's this reality in the human condition that I think Jesus is pressing through. And this is getting into the first quality, right? The first quality of someone who moves towards the pool of grace and who wants to get well is honesty. You see, there's an aspect of honesty with current reality that's a precursor to getting well. You have to be honest about the way things are. Another phrase might be healthy self-awareness. Or you got to deal with the narcotic on the inside of our life called self-deception. Do you realize how addicted we are to this narcotic of self-deception? We can get so skilled at convincing ourselves of nearly anything. I mean, we can rationalize, we can excuse, we can deny, we can bury our head. We can look in the mirror and convince ourselves of nearly anything. It's all self-deception. Listen to how Chris Webb wrote it. He's a pastor and an author of a book called God's Soaked Life. Listen to what he said. As long as we continue to try to hide our brokenness from ourselves, from others, and from God, we cannot expect any serious change or healing in our lives. We're simply under play acting at life. Look at that. Wearing masks to hide our weaknesses and shortcomings while failing to face the root issues that are slowly destroying us from within, like a cancer of the soul. And the ironic thing in this dialogue that Jesus is having with the paralytic and the scene with the Jews around him is he, it introduces us to an arena where the play acting of life might be its most tempting to kind of take place. It's the arena of religion. Do you know church world? It's easy to wear masks in church world. It's easy to pretend like everything's going a certain way. When really on the inside, there's not an honesty about how things really are. It's really a religion veneer can kind of set them on. You can convince yourself that you're kind of on it with God. This is how, how do you explain this? This is how people can go like, they can come to church for decades, listen to hundreds of sermons, sing thousands of worship songs, go to dozens and dozens of prayer meetings, and never change. How does that happen? Does anybody else just sit around, how does that happen? Do you need another worship service, another sermon, another set of songs, another prayer meeting? You know what Jesus might say? You might want to start with being honest about current reality. And sometimes that's really, really hard. So that's why when he asked the question, do you want to get well? Watch how the religious leaders now, the Jews around this circle, look, watch how they respond. Here's a great window into the posing, pretending, self-deception of religion world. Here's what happens. Look, the Jews, verse 9. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, verse 10. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Are you kidding me? So what are they all preoccupied with? They got the whistle, the flag, and the stripes, and they're like, hey, you carrying your mat, and it's the Sabbath. And the guy's like, yeah, check out my legs, right? She's got my legs. Look at these things. They're working like the first time in 38 years. Check it out. And they're like, hey, you can't carry your mat. Gang, what's going on inside when you're so wrapped up in the law of God that you can't even rejoice in the goodness of God right in front of you? That's a common term religion. 
We can get so wrapped up in the way we think they're supposed to be, which, by the way, the Pharisees and the Jews that day, they thought they were honoring God withholding this. That's why it's so difficult to pierce through this veneer and this layer of deception that kind of sets in upon us. They thought they were being a God-honoring by whistle, flag, stripes, say, hey, foul, you can't carry your mat. This guy's like, hey, how about rejoicing with me? It's the first time I'm standing and I'm jumping and I'm running. I could picture the paralytic say, hey, you want to you race? You want to race? Hey, sprint, first one to the synagogue wins. The guy's like, kidding me? Hey, let's play tag, something like, the guy's like wanting to run 38 years. Nope, hey, you got, you got your bat. It's Sabbath. Piles of Sabbath laws. The books were so thick around the Sabbath laws, which is a good indication of when you've lost sight of the purpose of Sabbath, when you've got so many laws surrounding it to hold up. And so I know, I know about you in my life. I found God introduces pain as a way to wean me off the narcotic of self-deception. Do you remember in our Jonah series when we talked about, remember that several months ago when we were talking about Jonah and how you can run from God, but you can't outrun God? And when Jonah's there on the waters, right, and he's in the boat and there's wind and waves and all this stuff, and God just keeps ratcheting up the pain factor. Remember this discussion we had when the pain of your current circumstances exceeds the pain of change? Things start changing. When the pain of your current circumstances exceeds the pain of change, in today's lingo, we'll start getting honest. We'll start dealing with current reality the way God sees it, honestly. And until you get there, gang, things are going to remain pretty well as they've been. That's why you can go to another class, you can go to another life group, you can go to another worship service, you can sing more songs, you can listen to more sermons, and for the most part, things stay exactly as they've been until you move into this space and you get honest. Sometimes painfully honest, because sometimes current reality is really hard to look at. Which is why the second quality is so important for people who move towards the waters. Right? There's a whole bunch of people laying around the pool of Bethesda that are just not honest, which is, I think, this guy. He's not, he's not being honest with Jesus here about why he's not getting in the waters. He just used an excuse. Well, I can't get in there fast enough. It's a whole bunch of people laying around the pool of grace aren't really interested in getting in. Because honesty is difficult and it needs courage. Second quality is courage, right? We're going to need a healthy dose of spirit-birthed courage if we're going to move towards the pool of grace. If we're going to respond to Jesus' invitation to be well. Courage about what? Courage about motives in our heart. Courage about fears. Courage about patterns of sin. You're going to have to have courage to peel back some layers and let the light of his love and grace shine on it and look at it. That's really hard. There's life-giving on the other side of this. The alternative is you can just stay around by the pool if you want and keep things as they've been. It's an amazing, the patience of God and grace of God to just allow us to stay in our places of brokenness by our own free will. It's amazing. God will send all kinds of things to move us towards honesty and to give us courage, and we can just... Listen to how Gordon MacDonald put it. I love Gordon's writings. This is what he said. I discovered that unresolved feelings do not flutter away in the wind. They deposit themselves in the strata of our souls and lie waiting to escape. They are all there. The resentments, the despair, the anxieties, the worries, the fears, 
when you're young, hear this now, we have enough energy to keep them from geysering. But as the years accumulate, we lose our ability to push them underground. Oh. You know, in counseling circles or in psychology classes, there's the discussion about, well, this person's entering a midlife crisis. Well, I think Gordon McDonald's has more insight on what that means. That's that right there. When the stuff that, when you were younger, you're burying, you're stuffing, you're rationalizing, you're denying, you're putting on the mask, you're faking your way through it, then all of a sudden, as you get a little bit older, that stuff just geysers up. That's this, and you need a lot of courage to move towards that and to deal with it. Might have been sitting there for decades. You've got to move towards it, and you've got to deal with the way things are. Can you imagine the stuff in the paralytic's life that was buried, buried for decades. Can you imagine the cynicism in this guy's heart? Can you imagine all the other, he probably heard about Phil last week who got healed and Joe the week before who got healed, and there it is, year after year after year, he lays there. Probably another would-be Messiah strolls up and claims to be Jesus, and he's like, yeah, right, and then we all lay there still paralyzed as we've always been. Can you imagine all the stuff that built up in this guy's heart? It was all there. It was all there, which is ironic that he really had no idea who he was talking with. So I want you to stay with me here in the connection and courage and understanding who we're in dialogue with here. Look, verse 11. So they're asking him, they're, you know, whistle flag stripes saying, hey, foul, you're carrying your mat on the Sabbath. Look, he replies, the man who made me well. What does that tell you? <laughs> he doesn't even know his name. The man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So basically he's trying to get out of being like, he feels caught, right? The religious police have him. He's like, hey, don't arrest me. Go get the guy who made me well. I'm just doing what he told me to do. He said, pick up the mat and walk. So they ask him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. Wow. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd. You know what? I don't think the paralytic's alone in that. I think about the number of times in our lives where we experience the healing power of Jesus, yet we really don't know the healer. You know that happens. Where you can just experience God's goodness, maybe an answer to prayer, a provision, a healing, a breakthrough, but in your heart of hearts, you really don't know the giver. You're enjoying the gifts, you appreciate the gifts, but in your heart of hearts, do you really know the healer who's extended that to you? Because gang, if you really knew who was offering you this life in this pool of grace, it would change your dialogue with him right here. See, because he didn't know who he was talking with, I think he had a lot of defense mechanisms. I think there was a lot of things built up in his heart. He wasn't willing to be honest and transparent and go beneath the surface and look at things the way they need to be. He didn't, he wasn't, because he probably thought this, this guy, Jesus, he probably thought he was another would-be Jesus. He looked more ordinary than all the other guys. The, the Jesus of Nazareth, he didn't even come in with the flowing robes. He looked like a carpenter's son. So he wasn't matching the profile. So he's just dismissing this guy. Hey, move on, buddy. Put your little offering in my bucket and move on. And then he finds out later, it's Jesus. You mean the Jesus? You mean the Messiah? Can you imagine how different the dialogue by the pool would have been if he recognized he was speaking with the Messiah? 
You know what that does? If you get a clearer vision for this Jesus who's offering you grace and healing and wholeness, the clear vision you get of that, do you know what that encourages? It encourages honesty. It brings courage. Why? Because Jesus will accept you and love you and receive you just as you are. He wants whatever's underneath that layer, that closet over there that you've locked away some stuff in your heart and you said no one gets in there. You know what? You can open that up to Jesus. If you recognize who you're talking with, you'll crack open that door and you'll let him in versus keeping that thing sealed. And this guy, 38 years worth of closed doors in his heart, and he didn't know who he was talking with. So gang, let's, get, let's commit this morning to have a clear vision of the healer, of the giver that's behind these amazing gifts of grace that he offers. And if we'll get a clearer vision of that, it'll move us towards increased honesty and it'll strengthen our courage to peel back the layers no matter how many decades down they are and call it for what it is and invite his healing grace right there. And then, gang, some stuff's going to start changing. Or you can stay by the waters and continue to rationalize and deny and excuse, perhaps moan, complain, dismiss, blame shift, play the victim, like the attention that all that brings, and things will remain pretty much as they are, which is why we need the third component. So we've got honesty, courage, and faith. I think these are three, three qualities that exemplify people who move towards the pool of grace, get in the waters, and find wholeness. Honesty, courage, and faith. Hebrews 11.1 says faith is this. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. The eye of faith that looks into believe something can and will be different. We need that. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And do you know the space he develops faith in our life in? Do you know what that space is? That space called uncertainty. He leads us into this space in our life where we can't figure out how we're going to get through whatever it is we're going through. Could be career-wise, family front, financial front, health front. He leads us through some stuff and we can't figure out, Lord, I can't see my way through. I can't, I don't know how we're going to get, you know what's developed right there? If we'll stay with Jesus in that, if we'll keep moving towards him with honesty and courage, do you know what's developed there? Faith. Your faith, your trust, your confidence in God grows. This is why if you're trying to manufacture a life with minimizing uncertainty, you're probably working against the work of God in you. Not encouraging to all you type A's who just heard me say that. That's not really good. If you're a control freak on this and you really like things like you'd love all the plates in your life to be spinning just right and you get it all set on the home front, the work front, the financial front, the kid front, the health front, you get all these things set and boom, God blows the whistle and everyone jumps out of the pool. That's how it works. That's God's work. Why? Because he values something more than safety, stability, security. Those are not high on God's list. God's looking at who you're becoming. He wants a person of faith. He wants to see trust and confidence in him. He wants to see honesty. He wants to see courage. You know what? That doesn't get developed when all those things are kind of running like we want to run them. No. What, what happens is you hit that space where you're like, Lord, I can't see. I don't know where to go with this. How is this going to work its way out? Right there if you stay with him. With honesty and with courage, faith grows. So for all of you this morning who find yourself in a space filled with massive uncertainty, 
I want you to hear from Jesus today. Your faith can flourish right there. Say, where is Jesus? And he's right there with you. And he's deepening some roots of faith in ways that certainty never does. Worship team, I'm going to have you guys come back up. I'm going to close with one story and then lead us to the communion table. So I love John 5 so much that when I went to Israel in June of 2017, I looked on the plan for our Israel trip that I was on. I, took, I was on the Israel trip during my sabbatical, and the pool of Bethesda wasn't on the itinerary. I was so disappointed. So it came to the latter part of the trip. We were in Jerusalem for three or four days, and the tour guide said, well, you have a couple hours tonight, like before dinner, uh, kind of rest, recover, whatever you want to do. And I thought, in my head, went through my head, I, like, I got to go find the pool of Bethesda. So I run down to the hotel desk. I said, hey, where's the pool of Bethesda from here? And she pulls out a map. She takes her highlighter. She, I said, how far is it from here? She said, ah, 20, 25-minute walk. You'll be fine. Oh, this is going to be great. I said, I can't wait to go. I thought, you know what? I'm going to take a couple friends with me. I don't think that should probably go solo on this one. <laughs> so we're in Jerusalem. We're heading out. Follow the highlighted route. Within five minutes, we're completely lost. We have no idea where we are. We can't figure out the road system. Shocker. We can't figure it out. So I abandoned the map long into that, and I just started asking people for directions. So we'd go somewhere, go to this prayer. Hey, we're trying to find the pool of Bethesda. Here's the ironic thing. Muslim, Jew, or Christian, no one debated, A, that there was a pool of Bethesda, and B, it's the pool of Bethesda described in John 5. Everyone knows about the pool of Bethesda. It was so ironic to me. I love that, which is another reinforcement, right? The you know your faith is real, but when you put your feet where Jesus put his feet in Israel, it's really real. Like all these places here, they're there, and they all know it. And we on another part of the world, we might debate whether those places, but the people who live there, they don't debate it. Like, oh yeah, pool of Bethesda. Go this way, turn this way, go this way. I kept following all the people's directions. Two hours later, we're still out at the pool of Bethesda. And I started to notice something in this sector of the city we were in. They were rolling all this food out into the, like, the streets. Lots of food. I was getting hungry. It looked really good. And then I started noticing, no one looks like me in this part of the city. Like, I am the most really Caucasian-looking guy in anywhere I'm seeing. Like, I'm, I stand out big time. I start looking around. I'm in the middle of the Muslim sector of Jerusalem, and it's Ramadan. There are 400,000 Muslims in Jerusalem to celebrate Ramadan. Do you know what happens at sundown? They break their fast and they feast. So all this food was being rolled out. It wasn't for me. It, wasn't for us. it was for the celebration that was going to follow. And so I thought, wow, this is ironic. I'm a long way from the pool of Bethesda right now. So I finally asked one more person. I was just about to give up. I said, I mean, I kept turning around, going in circles, all that stuff. And then one one helpful said, hey, look, right down that row, right there, you see that iron gate down there? If you walk through that iron gate, you'll walk to the pool of Bethesda. Thankfully, my two friends stuck with me through this, which is so funny. One of the parts that we ask one of the people to help us in his response to where the pool of Bethesda was, he says, you need car. Like, <laughs> that's not good. Because supposed to be walking distance. You need car. That's how lost we were. You need car. No, no, no car. Just direct us. I go through the iron gate, and here's what I saw. Here's a picture I took. There's the courtyard. By now, I need to sit and find a bench. I need to drink a little water. I was just so relieved to get there, and I just 
We're going to take a few minutes and soak in the scene. That's the courtyard where they believe the actual interaction would have occurred with Jesus and the paralytic in John 5. I'm sitting there on this bench, I'm drinking some water, and I look up, and there's the sign. And I put that sign in your notes as well. Because I loved how, you know, just, they just placed a sign to kind of memorialize the space. And as they quoted John 5, here's what it says at the bottom of that sign. It says, Jesus is all-powerful, omnipotent. He always has ways and means to help you. Jesus is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. He always has ways and means to help you. I have a sense that the Lord brought someone to church just to hear that today. The same Jesus who walked up to the paralytic by the pool walks up to your life today. Says, do you want to get well? Because if we're all honest, we've all got places inside of us that aren't well. There's something breaking down somewhere. It could be inwardly, it could be outwardly. There's a place in here where Jesus knows and he sees. He says, hey, do you want to get well? Do you want to deal honestly with current reality? Do you want to receive my courage to press through some layers and have some conversations and perhaps drag some stuff out into the open in the presence of some other wise counselors and guides and, and deal with some stuff? Do you want to get well? And do you, do you believe, do you see that this can and will be different? Do you have an eye of faith to believe who you're talking with? that I'm the Messiah, I'm the Lord, I'm King of the Pool of Bethesda. You can put whatever you want in these waters and His grace is sufficient, gang. Whatever it is, it's sufficient. And we simply have to say what that sign said. Jesus, would you please help me? He is all-powerful. He has ways and means. He will help you. And so in just a moment, I'm going to dismiss us to the communion tables. And I want you to view the communion table as your personal pool of Bethesda. I want to encourage you as you get up out of your seat and you move to the tables, I want to encourage you to just kind of be whispering a prayer on your way to the table and just saying, Lord, honesty. I want to be honest. Lord, I need courage. Open my eyes, faith. And then as you tear off that bread that represents his broken body and you dip it into the juice that represents his shed blood, and you just receive. You know, that's the posture of the table. You receive from him. You can't manufacture the wholeness that you need in your life. This table says this is where you go. Jesus can bring for you what we could never do ourselves. We're not smart enough. We're not strong enough to put all this back together. That's the point of the table. So come to his healing grace. Get in these waters and receive. And he can make you well. Let's pray together. So Jesus, I think there's some in the room who maybe uh, could have been months or years ago had long written off the hope for things to ever be different. There's others maybe more recently that have come to that conclusion. There's others just overwhelmed with current realities. 
right now I ask for an outpouring of your spirit. Open up their eyes and give them the faith to rise and go to the table with honesty and courage. Say, Jesus, help me. Thank you that you've laid down your life. You've spilled your blood. Thank you that this table says change is possible. So we bring our brokenness to you. And we ask you to bring your healing grace to us. Meet each one of us where we are. Have your way. In a sense, may we rise and walk from this table like the paralytic in wholeness. We ask it in Jesus' name. Our tables are open to any here who are a follower of Christ. You don't have to be a member of Eagle Church. We do ask that you just kind of take a moment and evaluate, hey, are you all in with Jesus? Because the table's reserved for those who've made a decision to live for him and to go his way. It doesn't mean you're perfect at it. It just means you made a decision you want to go God's way. And if you haven't done that, you can pray and receive Christ and take your first communion at the table right here, right now. And that table's open to you as well. And the way this works at Eagle is we've got both settings on both sides. You just kind of get up at your own pace and your own way. The team's going to be leading us through some worship, and you can spread out all around the room. You want to pray by yourself. You want to pray with others, friends, life group members, family, and just take some time. And this is our space to worship and to do so in remembrance of him. And then there's places of prayer. You see these prayer benches at the front on both sides? There will be an elder over here on this side. I'll be over here on this side. And if you want to come and receive prayer for something going on in your life, we believe Jesus still heals today, just like this story. We will anoint you with oil and we'll ask Jesus to heal you, whatever it is. We believe he can still do that. So if you want to come and bring those kinds of needs here, we'll be happy to pray with you in that. Let's stand together and you're dismissed to the tables as the team leads us.